Ben. We are speaking with the one and only Steve Overland of FM. The new album, Tough It Out Live, comes out April 9th via Frontiers Records. And as we say here in Montreal, bonjour, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, Mitch. How are you, man? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, I'm listen, I've been in an FM heaven world for the last little bit. I mean, if you look over here, I've got the FM. Whoop, you can't really see it. Let me see. Uh, I can see. We got well, that, and, and I've got I've got the uh, tough it out over here in the Italian job. I mean, I'm just I'm just over overwhelmed See, with. You FM know how much stuff. money he spent on FM CDs in the last month? It's been it's been incredible. A little over a thousand bucks, but have you? Yeah, <laughs> I have. It is because I've tracked down every every single and every uh, and everything. But uh, <laughs> I, I do want to get started on this because here here's one thing that I've noticed with the band uh, listening to it as much as I have is, and I was trying to tell Jeremy because he he never never heard of the band before. He's only 26, and he's like, I I don't know this band. And I said, listen, it's a little bit like honeymoon suite meets platinum blonde meets Brian Adams. Um, that's a good description huh? would that be well but here's what I find interesting is that your guitarist uh, at the time not anymore but Andy Barnett played with Corey Hart for many years he did sunglasses at night he did first defense so when he comes over to the band in 91 and he's written that girl on indiscreet did he bring any of that Canadiana with him did he sort of introduce you to those sounds because there is a similarity um, I think we already were into that stuff anyway, Mitch. And okay. um, I'd known Andy for many years in London. And then Andy okay. went off and he, he played with some some great people. And um, I heard he was playing with Corey. And yeah. uh, then suddenly I saw him on MTV on a video and he was in the band. I didn't know what was going on with him. But we were kind of old friends from many years ago doing the London circuit. And right. so that's how we met. So when my brother left the band... Um, yeah. After Tough It Out, we um, we kind of put our heads together. We auditioned loads of great guitar players at the time because we were kind of probably at that stage at the height of our career. We were headlining the Hammersmith Odeon. We were the Apollo, as it's known now. And we were doing pretty big gigs in this country. Yeah. So, you know, um, and and in, in other territories as well. But it was kind of like we thought of guitar players that had kind of that flair because it was all sort of whammy bar, woo, and all yeah. this stuff going on then, but with a bit of blues as well. And um, Andy was an all-rounder. And at that time, he'd left um, America, come back to the UK. We knew he was buzzing around London again. So we just said, let's get Andy and see what happens if he's interested in doing it. And, I mean, he'd been a bit of an FM fan anyway because we'd known each other for years. And that's how it came about. And I guess he would have brought some of it to the to, to the table. To the table. That's what he'd been doing for the last, with various bands out in the States and stuff like that for a while. So, yeah, I think he brought some of that to the sound. But, um, <laughs> you know, See, plus he's a very much a flair player. He was incredible. He was great. You know, I have this vision of him showing up in London at the FM rehearsal with a bunch of, a stack of Honeymoon Suite CDs going, you should, you should check these guys out. They're really yeah. great. Yeah, it oh. wouldn't dare. <laughs> <laughs> but but let me ask you about Tough It Out because the live album, I, I've heard it. It sounds great. Uh, but at the time, what was the label trying to position you to do? Was it about breaking the American markets? Because they bring in Desmond Child, they bring yeah. in a guy who's worked with Queensrÿche and Dawkins. I mean, there was, it seemed very obvious that they were trying to turn you into 
the American flavor of the day. Was that sort of what was going on with Tough It Out? Absolutely, Mitch. You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, we um we were signed by um Portrait Records mm-hmm. as their first signing in the UK. But as you'll know, with your knowledge, they were primarily an American label. Correct. Portrait. They they were just starting out over here. Um, we were their first signing, and um, we kind of made a demo. We sent it to them. They signed it straight away, and then it got handed to the Americans, the American label, straight away because obviously they heard what what other people hear. It's like this would be great for America for their actually a British rock band. So I mean, radio friendly, radio friendly singles. It's obvious. Yeah, yeah, and we got caught <clears> up and then got caught up in a massive battle between the British CBS and the American CBS. So we mm-hmm. had Paul Russell over here and we had Don Gris and all those people out in America. The American label wanted to take over the band and market it and do everything with it at that time. So we went out to the States to do TV and, and sort of stuff. And Frozen Heart from the Indiscreet album got a great, great play on, on radio in America, right. you know? And um, so it was a bit of a funny situation for us because we had... The American label, every time they said, oh, you know, we need you to get American management, we need you to do this. So we signed to Barrack and Solo, John Barrack, who managed, you mm-hmm. know, Nelly Survivor, Mario mm-hmm. Speedwagon. So we then ended up with American management. The American label wanted to take the band over, but being stuck in the UK, because all of a sudden it's really strange, this record company thing, how they don't seem to work together. And no. it's like, you know, if they had a done, it maybe would have been a different story for FM in America, you know, and, um, but we just got caught up in the middle of it all. And um, without going on, it kind of ruined any opportunity we had at that stage of doing anything in America for us. You know, you know by the way, it, it's funny that you say that because when I talk to the Canadian artists, when I talk to Gowan, when I talk to Honeymoon Suite, when I talk, they keep talking about how the Canadian record company sandboxed them and said, you're going to play in the Canadian sandbox. And we're not going to send you to the other markets. Well, dude, it's like, you know, you look at artists that are from Quebec and they're in the French market and they get signed to a French label and then they get an inter- they get a distribution deal with Universal or Sony. And they're even even then they're still reluctant to take them out of the province because, oh, no, you're a French artist. You're, you're it's you have a French market down pat. But no, I don't want to be that. I just I want to be global i want to you know even i want to be national i want to get out of quebec first off but they they pigeonhole you into this you know what they think is your brand and you have to stay there and that's it and they're afraid to take a chance you're dead right joe and it's been really funny for us because we were we kept touring the uk we kept touring bits of europe in the same territories and um because we were successful there it was almost like oh that's fine then because you're doing well now in those times. Yeah, give, give them London and they'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's what it was like. And we were made to tour. Luckily, I mean, we did tour with, as you know, as we talked many times before, with Bon Jovi and mm-hmm. Tina Turner and all these massive acts doing stadium gigs. But we couldn't break into new markets. And funnily enough, since we've gotten back together, since the big, when we were apart for 10 years, we got back together, we found out that we had top 20 records in Sweden. We found out we had success in Greece, Portugal, Spain now yeah. is that one of our biggest markets. Yeah. And we oh. didn't go there until five or six years ago. And it's because they just didn't send us. It's like, no, no, Germany, you're doing well in Germany. So wherever they thought you were selling records, you just went 
to those territories. And it was just ridiculous. We'd be you were like, saying, right. you know. So you wouldn't go and, you know, play to a new audience and try and develop a new audience at the same time. <laughs> of course not, Jeremy. Well, it'd be pointless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, isn't it ridiculous? It's like you just keep playing. It's like, oh, we're back here again then. Great. You know, we're, we're with Gary Moore this time, but we were here three months ago with somebody else. And, right. you know, we did the- work our way up to headlining fairly big gigs in those territories, which was great. Right. But we were always thinking... Are we not doing very well in Spain? Are we? Don't we sell any records in yeah. ever territory? And nobody ever talked about it. Nobody mm. ever talked about it. It was like we were like, "What about America? Let's get back out to America." And every single opening in America that came up fell through. Mm. We had everything from uh, big offers of things, and we tried to get visas. We didn't get the visa. Every everything that got and could get in the way of us not being successful in America did. That just must be incredibly frustrating, though, because it's like, you know, I was saying to Mitch, you know, I just discovered you guys literally like a month ago where Mitch started telling me, he's like, Jeremy, you, you love this music, this kind of stuff. You will love this band FM. And I fell in love with the music. It's it's fantastic. Oh, and, you know, Mitch and I were talking about we were looking at billboard chart positions and stuff. And I'm like, well, these guys have been around forever. They're still around and got um, amazing music. It, it must be incredibly frustrating to not have had that huge success on the charts, but still have yeah. such a big fan base. Well, the thing is, Jeremy, it's one of those things. I mean, I'm sort of, um, I'm a bit about, to, I try not to look back too much. I've done this all of my life. I've always been fortunate enough to be a singer mm-hmm. from day one. So I'm a big believer in what happens next. If you dwell on the past too much in this business, you, you're going to beat yourself up and you, you're just going to be, you know, I've seen people that just, can't handle it but i i'm kind of i've been lucky enough to be able to play in great bands doing great gigs Mm -hmm. and i can see why we didn't have the success and if it had been because i thought the music was garbage (laughs) that would have been far more of like that would have set me back a lot worse than if i thought (laughs) you know i can look at it and think that really didn't help that that the management's there i can look at all the things and i can put my if you've got three days I can go into detail of to why I think we didn't have a success, but I don't dwell on things like that because I don't think it's constructive. Do you know right, I mean? it's not. It's like, to me, I think I look towards where I am now at this stage in my career and the fact that FMR back up there and doing great gigs again. And great new albums. Now, you know, and that, yeah. I think that's the way to go with it, you know, and um, that's just me. You know, yeah. I think it's it's the way to look at it. You know, I want to bring you back to the uh, to the live album, Tough It Out Live, but I, I'm going to start it off with a quote from Jim. He was asked, and it's on the FM official site. It says, "What is your favorite album to play?" And he says this. He says, "I love Indiscreet, a total classic. Tough It Out, I think, has some better tunes than Indiscreet, but I personally never thought that it was as consistent." Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about that because when you go to to approach it live. Do you have a sense of, okay, maybe there were some things that we could fix. And when you make this new live, I'm that's coming out in April. Do you adjust it any way, shape or form? Do you, do you add in parts and new, you know, drum fills and go, okay, let's, let's beef it up. Or do you say, no, this is what the fans oh. like. This is what they've loved. Let's yeah. play it as it is. Play it as it is to be honest, Mitch, because <clears> I think, you know, those songs are th- those songs and those records, Indiscreet and Tough It Out, when you go to places like Spain, they, they are iconic to people. They're like the backdrop of their lives at that period, the memories they had when they first saw the band. Mm-hmm. 
if you tamper with it too much, if we were going to do a remake of the album like we did Indiscreet, we may change things, change solos, put different sections in. But we were, we basically, the, the deal was that we went out and we played that album in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And the other bands we toured with changed the set around. So that it wasn't in the same order as the album. But I said to the management, if we're going to do this, and it wasn't the best order to do for a live gig. It was right. too up and down pace wise right. for a live set. Mm-hmm. But I just think, up to me, it was like, we have to play the album as it was. Because people would be going, oh, People will be going, it's Can You Hear Me Calling next? And they've never played that long. I can't wait to hear that. So if you then did that second in the set, they're like, oh, right. You know, that's not where <laughs> it is on the record, is it? You know, it's like, so I was insistent that if we're going to do this, we're going to have to really soldier on through it, even though you've got a ballad maybe for your third song in the set, which you wouldn't have. We no. need to play this album as it was played, A, to show... 30 years later, we can still play it properly, you know, and not change it around. Well, I can still sing it in other fashion, you know, and it will be like, people will go, blimey, you know, it sounds like the record. And it's as the record was. And yeah. I was insisting, we're going to do these kind of things where you go out and say, right, we're going to play the album as it was in its entirety. I think you have to do that. I think yeah. to get, because people are waiting for that song to come next. Yes. So you're trained. You're trained to hear it in a certain order. I mean, you just yeah. are. Yeah. But yeah. Let me ask you this uh, about this because you mentioned Indiscreet. You redid Indiscreet, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is a compliment or an insult, but I really love Indiscreet 30. I just think it has, it's fuller. There's more texture. I just, uh, I prefer it's to the original. Here. I don't know. Is that bad to yeah, say that I prefer sure. to the original? <laughs> I don't know. That's fine. It's just great to hear. I mean, I mean, if I was being perfectly honest with you, which I am, normally am, I was dead against doing it. I was like, yes. What? I just said, why? You know, the management said, well, we heard publishing. Playing, you know, have you heard what the band sounds like now? It's it's got so much more going. It. It's like mm. you know, it's got you know, it's a much bigger sound than it was then. You know, yes. and, and um. And I'm like, yeah, but all these fans, they've, they've been listening to this album for years. That We're going to get absolutely ripped to pieces if we re-record it differently and change it. And they basically made us put a couple of tracks down in the management. We were in the studio doing, oh, blimey, which one would it have been? It might have been Heroes and Villas. We were recording yeah. an album at the time. So we banged down that girl one night, just as we would play it live now. And, and they put it up and they said, there it is. That's what I mean. Does that sound like the old indiscreet? And I said, well, no. They said, well, the fans want this. So basically I was... They were right. You know, (laughs) I was browbeaten into doing it. And I was waiting for the bad reviews. When when the album was... I thought we'd done a great job on the album. Don't get me wrong. I changed some of the vocal licks. I've changed a few things. For better, for worse, I didn't know at the time. I thought they're either going to rip me apart with this or people are going to say, do you know what? I hope people would love both of them in their own right. That's what I was hoping from it, you know. Mm. And um, they did. People much preferred it. Some people and some people did say, you know, why did you do that? But you're going to get that because to them, they've been listening to that old sound that we had back then. Mm -hmm. It's um, a great album, but if I have to choose, I'm going in Discrete 30. Well, that's great. Sorry. That's great. That, then you've just proved me wrong from the, from the off, haven't you? you know? <laughs> just kept my mouth shut and just phoned you. Say, yeah. what do you think, Mitch? You know, See, like, that's well, the thing, Steve. You know, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, the best A&R guy is a fan. 
Yes. Well, they all they always are, Jeremy. The best <laughs> the best AR guys because AR guys aren't your best AR guys, are they normally? You know? so, no, uh, usually not. If you, if you don't talk to fans, you'll never give the people that buy your records are the most important people because they know what they think your band represent and what they want to hear. So you need to get, so if a fan says to you, cool, it'd be great to hear you do something slightly bluesier or something slightly rocky, you need to take mm -hmm. that on board because yes. they've got all of your records and they play them. Yep. So if, if you're missing a trick, you need to know it. And they, and the great thing about fans is they are honest. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> they, they are. The yes, they, they are. It, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, and, and especially because the fans are a lot of the time the fan is even more familiar with your material than you are. Yes, most of the time, most yes. of the time. That's, no. yeah. Well, because usually <laughs> a band makes an album and they forget about it, and fans we study it for ten years, for twenty years, for thirty years. But here I'm going to go with back to tough it out and tough it out live. Um, Jeremy's a huge Mutt Lang fan, huge Hysteria fan, and of course Nigel Green. Nigel yeah. Green had his yeah. hands on tough it out um what did he bring because he was coming off of hysteria when he gets to your album basically yeah, yeah. what experience does he bring what advice does he bring does thanks he do for stealing my question by the way mitch appreciate well, it well no you're gonna he do the follow-up right <laughs> i shouldn't even be here at this point steve <laughs> Look, you carry on man you carry on um no it's um nigel was fantastic because obviously the best thing that you can't get Mott to do your record is to get the people that mix them for it. And so when we'd finished Tough It Out and the tracks had gone out to America, everybody was like, this is amazing. And we were yeah. just saying, we, we basically said, you know, we either want Mike Shipley or we want Nigel Green or yeah. if we could get Mott to mix it, it'd be great. And so we decided at the time that the most active person with Mott was Nigel. Nigel was doing all the stuff Mott was doing. He heard the stuff. He loved it, and so mm -hmm. we we were originally going to get Neil to mix it, Neil Kernan, who had produced it, the album, mm -hmm. um, and Neil did a couple of the tracks that went into films, like um, Burning My Heart Down went into the On Eagle film, things like that. So he mixed it, but then we went back and got Nigel to mix the same song, just to compare them. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nigel's mixes, he's just incredible. I mean, just to give you a, a story on how he works, he did it at Battery Studios where he... They did the hysteria, yeah, exactly. much stuff. And um, you'd go down there, and it was the weirdest way of mixing a record I've ever known. You'd walk into the control room, he'd let you in, but you had it was like shh, shh, and it was he'd have NS10s, Jamar NS10s either side of him, yeah, be leaning between the speakers, and it was so quiet you could barely hear at the back of the studio. And he'd just be there, and he'd have an SSL, and he'd just be doing his stuff, and you'd be you'd be thinking. How the hell can he mix a rock? How can he tell that this is sounding okay? Because it was so quiet. And he'd be listening to things he did. Sorry, the bass drum, and it'd be going. And I'm like, I'm sitting in the back, and what's going on? What the heck can you tell? Wow. And then at the wow. end of a mix, at the end of a mix, he would say, okay, guys, I'm going to leave the room now. Say, so if you want to, to have a, a proper listen and blast the track, then... He, he'd say, just, there you go, I'll put it on, I'm going to leave the room. And you'd put it on, you'd turn it up, and it would take your head. It was the most amazing mix you'd <laughs> ever heard in your life. But they mixed, and apparently that's how they used to work in, in, with Mark. It'd be minutely quiet to make sure that every frequency came out, and so you're not colouring the sound. Right. The speakers right. aren't colouring the sound in any way. It makes, so it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because... You can tell the difference when you listen to a record that's been mixed quietly 
versus yeah. somebody that was blasting their monitors all coked up yeah. in that studio because <laughs> you know the dynamics are just completely night and day. You yeah. listen to Hysteria with everything going on. You listen to Tough It Out with everything going on. It's incredibly yeah. dynamic and fat sounding yep. and it fills the spectrum. Whereas sure. you listen to other rock records that were coming out, not mixed by Nigel or the Mutt team, and it's like, oh, Rick Wald. Just <laughs> yeah. So the, problem you, the, the problem you have is is if you mix an album really loudly, everybody that listens to it should really be listened to it really loud, very loudly. Yes. And the problem is, is you can't. No. You can't listen to your albums at the level. I mean, I've been in mixing sessions with various producers and engineers where it takes your head off and you, and it sounds amazing. And you leave the studio. I remember me at CBS, you take it out and you're on the way home. You're so excited. It's like, listen to this. It's, gonna, it's amazing. You put it in your car. It's like, all right. Because you're not listening to it on massive monitors, right? Deafening volume because everything sounds great like that, exciting, brilliant, you know. And the funny thing, Mitch, by the way, in case you didn't notice, the the Yamaha NS10 monitors are infamous Mm. for being terrible sounding speakers. Terrible, terrible. But but the whole thing with Mutt was like, these are good. If we can make them sound great on this, it'll sound great on anything. That's exactly it, Jeremy. That's why they use them. And they used to, you've probably been to studios where you've seen NS10s and they, <clears> they put toilet paper or put something over the horns. Yeah. Because the horns are so revoltingly it's like, harsh to ah, listen to. It's like, it's like a freaking like, can <laughs> opener in your ear. Oh, it's awful. You know, yeah. but if you, get your, you get your track sounding on NS10s, when you take it out and put it on anything else, yep. it's gonna, you're going to go. It's just amazing, and that I still mix if we can on NS tens because I think it's important to get the if you get the dynamics right on them, you 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 cracked it. It's going to be a great sounding record. See? So yeah, that's yeah. all they used. That's all. So, they the, used so the key to making great records is shitty speakers. Yes, yeah. that's, that's, that's about it, Mitch. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, that. Hey, no, <laughs> that's hilarious. When you were working with <laughs> Nigel, when when he was doing the mixing and stuff. Did he bring in the fair light and do drum replacements in the mix? And like, did he like reamp stuff and say like, oh, maybe you guys should do the, you know, let's grab a rock, a rockman and, you know, recut a guitar part. It needs something here to fill the, fill the gap. Did he, did he do any stuff like that or? He didn't, Jeremy, actually. He was um very pleased. With, I mean, Neil was a great producer anyway. He did H2O, he did Hall and Oaks. He did lots yeah. of big records. Queens, right? Dawkins records, Dawkins records yeah. and many big records. So, He's a great producer, and I think Nigel put the stuff up. It was really brilliantly recorded, and I think he loved the sound of the rough mixes that we sent, but obviously he wanted to put his sound on them, like his, that that kind of sound that him and Mott could get. Yeah. But um, yeah. I think Neil had done a great job. So I think everything had been recorded really brilliantly and well, and because Neil's a great engineer too. So, yeah. you know, I just think he's heard what he, what he wanted to hear, but just... He just enhanced it, and it's just the EQing and the way they sit things in the spectrum with yeah. him and well. And let me ask you, you know. how how long did it take him to mix the record? Because there's so many stories about Mutt, you know, sitting there, Mike Shipley having you know, a a thirty band EQ on his lap, you know, manipulating syllables, you know, in yeah. the vocal take. It, it, did he do like minute surgery on some of the like those mixes? No, I mean he was doing a track a day. You'd go. Oh, wow. in, he'd, you'd probably go in. He'd take a track, mix it, and you'd go in the next day. He'd leave it overnight. You'd go in. He'd put the mix back up, and you'd just come in and he'd go in and tweak it before he came. He thought something was wrong, mm. and that was it. He did no fixes. I mean, at all. I don't think. Um, much 
sort of legendary for doing that, you know, changing mm -hmm. one word in a song and listening to a hundred takes and dropping words in if he thinks his song better. Yeah. Which is a strange thing because, I mean, I don't know how you could do that. You've got to have a hell of an ear, but he is a genius. So, yeah. you know, um, but Nigel, I think it was probably, he'd just come out of doing a, a Leopard album, which is a stunning record, that record, you know. And yeah. I think it was quite a... I think he wanted to do it his way. I think it was a relief to be able to just go in and a really well-recorded record. He loved the songs. I think he just went in and mixed it the way he wanted to mix it. And, yeah. you know, without Mott, because Mott's very much in control when he's working on well, yeah. the record, as yeah. you've probably cool. heard. So, so he probably just had a blast doing it. Yeah, you know, and I think he just had a great time mixing it. He loved the, the record and we loved him for doing it because it was... You know, I still even the funny thing is when I had to go back to because when you make a load of records, you you make them and you check them and you think they're great at the time. And you put them away to make the next one. Mm -hmm. So when we came to right, we're going to do Tough and Out Live, I had to get the record off the shelf, dust it off, stick it in, listen to it again and learn it. Right. <laughs> okay. You know, so but I put it on thinking, you know, will it be as great as I thought it was back in the day? Because it's. 1989 mm -hmm. and it still sounds great as a record i think if you put a Def leopard album on now st they still sound great they might it be is. slightly dated in what was used but, but they're big i don't they're, think so i think they're, they're perfect records. they're perfect <laughs> records and they're recorded perfectly mixed perfectly they're just <clears throat> perfection in those sort those kind of records yeah. You know? yeah so it stood up i put it on the thought do you know what? This is still still sounds great to me. This album, and um, it really does. Just you know, so it was great. It was great relearning the songs. Really, really going back over all the clean guitar parts and trying to relearn them. It was it was great. Good fun. Good fun yeah. to do. I've got a a couple more questions, but I'm taking them just away from tough it out for a second. Uh, Hurricane, uh, the album that came out by the Stax Band. You sing four songs on there. Yeah, absolutely sounds fantastic. And you even redid an FM song, which. I think it just sounds fuller with the 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 the, the backing vocals and the girls and the, the drums and, and stuff. Yeah. The bras. Yeah. Um, what is the sort of status of that band? Because first of all, you can't buy a CD of this band. You can only get it on Not digital, yet. which annoys the hell out of me. But that's yeah. another story. <laughs> but is, is that an ongoing concern where you will do more shows with the Stax Band? Will you Absolutely, do other stuff? Man. Okay. The Stax Band is a band that. I was asked to join by one of the backing singers, the head backing singer in that band is a, is a girl called Sonia Jones. Um, mm -hmm. She's very famous. <clears throat> she's toured with The Who, The Stones, everybody. Duran Duran, pop bands. Yeah. they been on everybody's record, and she's an old friend of mine. And I used to do commercials and sessions with her many years ago, and right. they've had some incredible singers, the Stax Band. They've had people like yeah. Steve Winwood singing yep. with them, Paul Carrick, everybody, yep. you know, and... Um, they wanted somebody to sing on this particular record, which was mainly covers. And I hadn't seen Sonia for 20 years. And she just, one day she was with the main guy. She said, look, I don't even know whether this guy's still singing. I don't know whether he's around. She said, but if we can get him, I'll, I can tell you if he can still sing like he used to be able to sing, then he is going to be incredible for this band. So I tried to cut to the chase. I went down, did a little bit of a singing thing in the studio. And they asked me to do one song. It ended up being five songs. And then to, to cut to the chase, I did shows with Beverly Knight with them, with yep. all these great singers. And so it's an ongoing thing. Since then, 
I've been away to Cape Verde and written a record with the producer of the Stax band, Andy Wright, who's yeah. produced that does Simply Red and Simple Minds and done everybody. Um, Great bands. Yeah, you know, and so I've just written an album with Andy, <clears> the <throat> second Stax record, oh, wow. which is all original. So I'm singing all of the songs on it, and the band consists of amazing players, like um, it's the Simply Red Brass section, it's Tony Remy played with um, the Crusaders, he took, he replaced Larry Carton, the Crusaders, he played with Annie Lennox, he played with Jack Bruce, he's played with everybody. And It sounds great, and, and, and the, the You Keep band Me band Hanging On. Oh. You know, fantastic <clears throat> band, and the, it's just amazing to sing with a 15-piece band with a six-piece brass section. And, yeah, it's you know, absolutely we fantastic. Just, you know. So yes, it's ongoing. There's a second album that I think is great, and it's um we're just waiting for the right time to release it. There's a lot of interest in it, and it's it's as I say, I co-wrote this one, so it's all original tunes, and I'm wow. really proud of it. So when it's out there, we'll do this again. I know it's not a rock album. No, I, listen, uh, I, I'm in, and, and we've got the new Lone Rider or Lone Rider Two coming out. Yeah, uh, so. sure, yeah. Yeah. And and actually, I just bought the Japanese Loan Rider uh, this morning online because I didn't have that bonus track. I'm, I'm spending way too much money, but I hear that's no, it's great. It's great. It keeps me in the job, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like the money. It's it's I, I not know. the music yeah, exactly. hobby. It's the music business. Yeah. I know. Exactly. And I even bought uh, I even bought Jim Kirkpatrick's three solo albums yesterday. So I'm just it's crazy. But I, I'm going to ask you this: uh, when I was introducing the band to Jeremy about a month ago. I said, hey, even Iron Maiden covered them. And he's like, get the, get out of here. And I go, no, no, no. And I played them that girl, uh, your version. And then I played the Iron Maiden one. It's like, oh, now I know that Andy was connected into that world through uh, Adrian and stuff. But what was that like when you hear Bruce Dickinson and the band covering your song? Do you just go, whoa, what the, what is, what is well, that? You don't, actually, you just think. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you, God, is what you actually think, you know. So like, woo, the rent is paid this yeah. month, boys. Yeah, you know, so um basically we know all the maiden boys. I know um we we know all of them really. I know Bruce, um, I know Adrian from many, many right. years ago, because he played in a band with Andy Barnett funnily yes. enough, when we did the circuit, um band called Urchin. And you know we know Yannick. He's a big, big friend of Merv's, and they've come. They come to gigs. You know wow. they come. To, you know so it's like the old school thing. We all kind of grew up at the same time, playing in London, knowing each other. When I'm Maiden, we're just doing pubs like we were, and London pubs. And so when they did it, they did Andy's version, which was yeah. the original version of that girl. I mean, when we first heard it, me and my brother Chris. We said, yeah, yeah, I love the tune, the spling, ding, and all that's brilliant, you know, but there's no chorus. Right. And that was the Iron Maiden <laughs> chorus. I just thought it didn't have a chorus. So me and Chris sat down and came up with the that girl with the, the, the eights on the keyboard and all that yeah. stuff. So Good it's, part. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it was just, um, it's great. I mean, great to hear Maiden covering it. Having them covering a song is great for you. You know, and um, it's been talked about a lot. And yes. as I say, we, it wasn't out the blue. Andy's an old friend of theirs. We know them all. So they just heard the song and that version of it and, and did it, which was fantastic for us. You know, yeah. really fantastic. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just uh, ask this question, not to you, Steve, but to Jeremy. I said, Jeremy, when I first played these songs for you, the uh, the tough enough, what made you like FM? What, where did you connect immediately and go, yeah, okay, this is not just some... I liked the melody. I liked how melodic it is. 
but I also like the pleasuring, the pleasurable production of of the music. It just sounds really good, and the combination of the production, the melody, and the performance. Those are the three check the boxes that all check. <laughs> yeah. I have to check. So That's right off the bat, I, I loved it. So, you know, you, you got a new fan. And I'm going to have to go spend a thousand dollars on all the CDs and the singles now. <laughs> just great. just so, like imagine. I mean, That's great to hear, Joe. I mean, we, we kind of what we tried to do with the production now is try and produce. the. You know, I listen to all kinds of music because I have kids, you know, so mm -hmm. it's like you can't. Well, Steve, look, I, I work in I work in national top 40 radio. Yeah, but, mm -hmm. yeah. but in my personal life, I love stuff like this. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm exposed to big production on a daily basis. That's what I mean. That's what I mean so, by that. Yeah. So you know that these dance records and yeah. records that they sound amazing. The bottom end's amazing. The the sequence of parts they put on them are amazing. They're what made mm -hmm. the song move and change. And so we take that on board and put that behind a rock kind of banner presentation or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. you know the, if you took the heavy guitars off of fm songs and listen to what's underneath it there's loads of percussion there's loads of sequencer parts there's loads of stabs mm -hmm. and bass synths and stuff to give it a bit like dan reed network yeah. did many years ago and the bit the way they still do what dan does you know and it just gives rock music that that now sound, and I think you've got to try and do that. You know, oh, kids are vibrant. Although, as Mitch knows, I mean, with Lone Rider, I'm a big lover of '70s rock, and I like to strip mm. it back and do a Bad Company album with Simon Kirk with just bass, drums, guitar, and vocals, yep. like free. I love mm. doing that too. But FM sound is very much what you described. You know, being those records, top forty records, some of the dance records sound amazing. Yes. Yes. How how do they get that bottom end? So we look at how they do it and try and put it into yeah. the stuff that we do, you know, so that it's just, it it gives that kind of, I guess, a little bit more relevant sounding for now. If you know it's, what I mean. You it's know? funny because I, I can't picture you, you know, driving around London listening to Capital blasting Dua Lipa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, listen. You're not far wrong there, Jeremy. To be honest, you know, <laughs> I have every I have radio too. I think it's important to have top 40 radio on i don't have to like it all yeah but i do you do take on board maybe where music's going and sound and mm -hmm. things like that and what type of records sound great on the radio which is obviously very important and um we it do. sinks in it yeah. sinks into you know yeah. i know we're running out of time but here's one last question for me do you guys get radio support in the uk like do you get played on absolute or virgin or you know does planet rock or the yeah, well, like does radio x play fm well i mean we were very lucky joe we had um of all of the rock bands i mean you've got some great rock bands in there i mean thunder all the bands that we are uh, contemporaries i mean we basically were very fortunate we got lots of national radio radio Two play oh wow um, on major league day shows it's getting tougher because they're getting closing the doors a bit more. It's now mainly yeah. top 40, but we were very fortunate. A guy called Jeff Smith, who's the head programmer for Radio 2, loved Metropolis, our first comeback record. So wow. we got Hollow on the radio. We got all these songs. We got about three tracks on daytime national radio to millions of listeners, which, to be honest, with a band like ours, it doesn't boost your sales through the roof. What it does is it makes other people aware of you. Because yeah. you've got the, the, the mother driving her child children to school get to hear FM. We always got rock shows on all of the radio stations. And so Planet Rock are great. They're great supporters of ours and play our stuff. And we're yeah. very fortunate they've been great with us, you know. But um, 
Yeah, we've been lucky, to be honest, Jeremy, with National Rep. For a rock band that isn't Bon Jovi, Brian Adams, right. or something, which is they play anyway, we've been lucky to get right. it. We had it. But know? I mean, you know, if Chris Moyles or Chris Evans on Virgin played FM on the morning show, I mean, it would probably be a big, big oh, thing. Oh, amazing. I mean, we, we got Steve Wright. We got the breakfast shows. We got all of that stuff on National Radio, which... The, what made it relevant to me was like, you get your auntie phone, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I've just heard you're on the radio. This one she's doing the hoovering, <laughs> which they've never heard me on the radio because they listen to radio too, you know. Right. Not the, like the rock shows. So it, it just take, took you to a different listener, which is what you need to do. You know, it's mm. what you have to do. And um, yeah. it's great. It's great. We've been very lucky with, with that too. So, which is why I guess we're still here after so long, you know, and still doing it. So the- now it's great. It's great. And you're yeah. getting new 26-year-old fans that'll yeah. keep well, coming I mean, to the shows. What, what we are so, I mean, you know, when we're gone, when we're, when we're in the old people's institution, you've got to keep spreading the word for us. You know, it's like... We will. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm going to go with one more question. But since you mentioned Thunder, I'm just going to deviate a little bit. Uh, you did, of course, Shadow Man with Harry and Chris. Yeah. Um, and those albums are just phenomenal. They just sound great from top to bottom. Is that an, an ongoing concern as well? Will you do another Shadow Man event? I mean, whether it's in five years from now or, or is just like, eh, I've had enough of Harry. He's he's tough um, to handle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Harry. Harry's a real we all friend do. of mine, and Chris obviously because he's in Lone Rider too. He's the bass player in Lone Rider. One of the greatest bass players that North America does not know about. I mean, he's, oh, he's so amazing. good. So good. Scout, one of the best in the world, definitely. Yep. You know, and um, you know, Shadow Man went on the back burner, Mitch, when I decided to do the Lone Rider records, really, yeah. because you know as well as anybody that it's great that you can that I can do all these records and I, I love doing them because they're all <clears> different people, but I can't be bringing I can't bring a record out every two months. So I've got to kind of <laughs> if, if one thing my wallet on, thanks you for that. <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean I can make them for you. Yeah. You know I'll, I'll do you a good deal on them. I'll do Rich would love you, it. You know, but, yeah but so but I mean, the basic thing with it is I when I could, when I found out I could make this record with Simon Kirk again, um, mm. I decided to put Shadow Man to one side, me and Steve, because Steve Morris is the guitar player in Shadow Man. Yeah. He's also in Lone Rider, so it's become a little bit like too intertwined the right. band. So it was one <laughs> or the other. It's going to be Shadow and, Rider at some point. Yeah, exactly, you know. So we kind of to make records with Simon again for me, because as you know from the past, I made an album with Simon. Wildlife. when he was still in bad company many years ago and so i was 20 years old at the time so to be able to make records with him again it's fantastic for me of course. Do those kind of, of old school records and so we decided to put shadow man on hold for the time being but harry will definitely crop up on another record with me because <laughs> you can't keep him away you know so he'll be there somewhere in the future without a doubt you know yeah so but and let me go with the actual final question uh synchronized came out uh, of course last year and, yeah. and the last two, Atomic Generation and, and Synchronize, some of the best work you've ever done. Just they, they sound fantastic, but you didn't get to tour it. You, it sort of just came out and yeah, pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you sort of revive it and get on tour and, and start promoting it? Or do you just say, OK, well, listen, let's just make another one and we'll go do a dual album tour or something. Where yeah. are we in terms of new music and touring and supporting and all that stuff? Exactly what you've just said. We're making a new album at the moment. Smart. I've, um, mm. You know, it's not easy because we can only do one of us at a time. Right. And so what we're doing at the moment, Mitch, is sending each other parts 
and putting the songs together that way. Different thing. And when we can get together in the studio, that's what we'll do. We'll go and start doing it properly. But we have an endless supply of songs. So what our plan is, is when we can tour again, and we've got endless amounts of touring that has been moved year after year after year. So we're now in, yeah, the big touring now is 2022, but we do have a British tour at the end of the year. We do have some um, European dates that everybody is saying that might be getting noisy now. My son has just come home. You know? No worries. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so basically um, we've got tours planned. Um, so our plan is to make a new record, which is sounding great. The songs are just rolling out because we've had time, lots of time to do this. Um, yeah. And to maybe release the new record, push it the way we would, tour it, and maybe do a double pack and relaunch synchronized with yeah. the new album. So that makes sense. Really get the benefit from that. Get to hear some of those tracks played live, but it'll be like a dual pack. That's what we're talking about doing. So synchronized gets a little bit more life. It, you know, we get something out of it. You know, yeah. but um, we're not going to just sit back and go out and tour that record because the the, the main fans or have already bought that record. You know, so um, we kind of. We, we feel we need to give them another batch of songs. I agree. Start touring, you know, and, and we won't have time to go in the studio because the touring schedule planned is so intense when we can go out again that we're better to stack them up and get the albums done and they'll be there. And, and yet we've had plenty of time to make this a great record. The songs we've done so far, I'm really proud of. So I think it's going to be a great record. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Tough It Out Live, April 9th, uh, it comes out. Jeremy, any last words? No, uh, this has been the Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, Steve Overland, Fangirl Chat. <laughs> been nice talking to you, Jeremy. Nice to meet you, man. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. We'll have to do this again. I'm really looking forward to the uh, the album coming out. I can't wait to get the CD and put it in my car and blast the speakers. And yeah, Well, hey, I bought the C I bought the pre-order. I'm going to get the yeah. signed version, Keep so converting. come on, Jeremy. Keep converting, Mitch. That's my you point. Make but... us big in Canada. That's you know, the point. Like, We're, we'll get there. Come, I want to come there. We've never been. It's another territory we've never played in. You know? well, Mitch, you know. when, he, when he wins the lottery, he's going to have Mitch Fest, and FM is going to come in headline. <laughs> so. You know, the funny thing is, is I've actually said that I said that I was going to bring over Inglorious with Nathan James, because we love Nathan, Thunder, yeah, yeah, yeah. and FM, and Honeymoon Suite. That'll be my thing. And I'm going to have, I'm going to keep you for a weekend if I win the lottery. That, that's my plan. And Nigel oh, Green is going to come and do the live sound. Yeah. Oh, well, that's an even right. better plan. That's Sounds right. Sounds good to me. I'll be there. <laughs> Definitely. You know, Nigel Thanks. Green was Shania Twain's front of house engineer for all of her big tours. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, oh. he's, I mean, he's just got an incredible ear. You know, yeah. he is incredible. Yeah. You know, so, you know, all right. great, great stuff, guys. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. All right. Same here, Mitch. Take care of yourself and um, keep keep converting people. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the point. Keep pushing it out on the on the on the socials every day. Thanks yep. very much for that. Merci bien. Brilliant. Brilliant.